Hey, are you excited to be here today? Yes. Okay, seven of you. Good. We'll work on that. Uh, hey, if you didn't know, uh, the video is a good reminder. We are going through the story. And uh, it's an exciting day because we're making a big transition in that. But I have a feeling that some of you are sitting there going, ooh. I remember when we started the story way back in September, and everybody was really excited about it. And maybe you didn't buy uh, one of these Bibles. Uh, maybe you did and you lost it. Maybe you even joined a life group and you got really, really excited about it. And then you got to the Old Testament and in the middle, and for some of you, you're still wandering around in the desert somewhere and you have no idea where you are. And well, I've got good news for you today. Uh, we're making a big transition uh, in that. Uh, the good news is... We have made it to the New Testament. Can we just give God some praise for that? Okay, good. If you want to stay in the old, we can stay in the old. But I'm, I'm kind of ready to transition uh, to the new. And so uh, because of that, we've got more of these back at the Welcome Center today. This is a great time to get reconnected, to get re-engaged. You may have started out in a group and... You know, ah, the holidays hit and our schedules got busy and it's difficult to find a time to all get together. Anything, anything worth waiting for has to be incredible. And that couldn't be true, more true of the New Testament. If you are looking for a place to connect in the story, right now is a great time to do it. As we enter into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're about in the back third of your Bible, which is the New Testament. And a lot of ways to connect. You heard Andy talk about life groups. There is a group that meets every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and if you can't make it every week, that's okay. Nobody's taking attendance. Uh, it's a chance to go deeper. Coming on Sunday morning is great, and hopefully something that I say actually makes sense, but it's just skimming the surface of what is in these stories, and so we want to encourage you to go deeper uh, with life groups. There's the one on Wednesday that's studying the story, and many other ones for men, women, couples throughout the week around the city. So if you live around here and you want to meet some people uh, that live around where you do, I'd encourage you to do that. Also, do your devotions during the week on the website. I don't know if you know this. There's uh, devotions for families. There's devotions for adults. Uh, things that you can uh, use in your own personal study and with your group. So we want to encourage you uh, to do that. Anything this incredible is worth waiting for, and that is certainly true of our story we're not the only ones excited that we're in the New Testament. There's a whole group of heavenly beings that is pretty excited as well. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. Page 312, if you've got your story, or Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And this is where we're going to uh, pick up in chapter 22. And so I uh, want to encourage you to, to pull that up. And actually, up on the screens, I want to read this together. There's a random group of angels that shows up to a random group of shepherds in some random uh, field in the outside of Bethlehem, and they say this. Let's read it together with a lot of oomph this morning, okay? Here we go. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I think even the angels were excited to be done with the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? I think the angels are sitting up there in the, in the throne room of heaven and they're saying, okay, God, can we just get on with this? Remember this whole mission we've been planning? When can we go do our thing with the shepherds? You know, with the trumpets and the singing, the Christmas songs and everything. Like, we're ready to go. I, I have to imagine even the angels' Thursday night life group that all the angels are in was a little antsy. They're like, we want to just get on with this, right? So they're excited to go and they're just waiting for their time. The truth is that they were excited about something much more than just 
getting through some of these weird stories of the Old Testament, they're excited about the birth of a king who is about to change everything. But we can't just jump into the story there. The reason we've been reading through all of these stories since September is to give us context to what's going on. It doesn't make sense to just jump in and read that and say, okay, that's great, and we know that as a Christmas story, but the reason we've been reading through the Old Testament is to understand the impact, the profound nature of what is happening here in chapter 22. So to do that, I'm going to invite a, a, a couple stagehands up here, and uh, you remember uh, our rope uh, from a couple weeks ago to give you a, a picture of our timeline, and no, we're not going to do the limbo, although that would be fun. Uh, and if, while they're getting that set up, if you want to turn to page 307 in the story, and this is just for you that have the story, uh, it's a page that has italic words, so this is not in your Bible from the Rose there, but this is one of those transitional pages as you're reading along the story, it helps us get from one point to the next. As you know, we've been reading along, and in September we started way down here in Genesis, and we've been reading through the entire Old Testament, and now, uh, last week, Andy talked to us about uh, the prophets, about Nehemiah, and some of the last books of the Old Testament, all the way to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and chronologically in the span of human history and, and time and the story that God is telling, can you guys get that a little bit I just want to duck back and forth. Uh, we're like way over here. Okay? We're like right here. And where the book of Malachi ends, we read this to kind of help us transition. For 400 years after Malachi's prophecies, no prophets or leaders rose to the level of inclusion in the record of Holy Scripture. For this reason, the period, these 400 years after Malachi, is sometimes referred to by scholars and theologians as... The silent years. The silent years. At least from a lower story perspective. You know there's this upper story that God is telling and running simultaneously underneath is a lower story of what we can see with our eyes. So think about that. That's a long time to wait. From a human perspective, 400 years seems like this rope wrapped around the school about a million times, right? That's a long time. But because God is outside of time and space... Just because the lower story seems to be silent doesn't mean that God's not working. For God, if Malachi is here, those 400 years are one little strand of thread. God is far from silent, but if you're a Jew, 400 years can seem like a long time. 400 years is time for four, five, six generations to pass hearing seemingly nothing from God. What do you do when God seems silent in your life? What do you do when the timeline of your history seems to come to a halt and you have to wait? As a, as a culture, as a society, as Americans, we don't do very good with silence, do we? Our lives are filled with so much noise and clutter that sometimes we, we don't experience that. But we don't do well with silence, it's weird, it's awkward, we hate to wait. There's not a lot of silence in our lives. I love watching all of you get uncomfortable. That's fun. That was three seconds, okay? Imagine 400 years of that. 400 years of seemingly 
silence from God in the lower story. But in the upper story, God was doing so much more. You remember that way back here in Genesis 12, God made a promise to a man named Abraham that said, out of your family, out of your lineage, out of your descendants is going to come a savior, a messiah to rescue us from our sin that happened in the fall in the garden way back here. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we've been reading about this group of people called the Israelites who seem to do everything in their power to screw up that plan, right? They're a bunch of misfits, broken people, a lot like us. And they try to do everything that they can to mess up God's plan, but nothing will stop them. Nothing. God is always faithful to his promises. And everything is pointing here to our chapter today, chapter 22, after 400 years of silence, God breaks the silence. All the prophecies, all the promises, all the stories we've been reading about this entire year since September are pointing to this one moment in history. And how do we know that what happens here in chapter 22 is the real deal? Well, let's look at our story for today. We're going to be bouncing around to a few different parts of it, but I want to start in the book of Luke. And this is on page 310, if you have the story. If you guys want to hang up here just for a second, testing their strength. Page 310. And we pick up the story with a visit from the angel Gabriel. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now listen to this. A descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So how do we know that this Mary and Joseph incident down here, on this end of the story, ties in with the entire rest of the story we've been reading about? Who is Joseph a descendant of? What did we read? He's a descendant of David. And who is David a descendant of? Abraham. Long, 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 long ago, many grandfathers ago. In fact, look at the screen. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to God himself, to Adam. Jesus is often referred to as the second Adam, and that's so true because it's in his genes. But the difference between Jesus and Adam is that Jesus is perfect. He is fully God, and yet because we can trace it back through a human genealogy, he is fully human. Jesus is fully God, not born of a human man, but with Joseph as his human father, he is fully human. That's so important for us to remember. So what we're looking at here is not just some random list of names. You're going to come across this in the book, in the Gospel of Luke, and in the Gospel of Matthew. Have you ever sat down to read Matthew? Does it start off really exciting? No, it's boring. There's a whole bunch of random lists of a bunch of uh, guys that are really hard to pronounce their names, right? Look that up right now. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and see how it starts if you have, have your Bibles. I want you to just look at that. You might think, come on, Matthew, let's get on with the rest of the story. But if you look at it in the context of the entire story, that genealogy is God's upper story. That is what we've been reading about since September. Matthew is saying, this isn't just a random story in the Bible, these angels appearing to these shepherds. It is a culmination of 
everything we've been learning about. Let's give our uh, strong men up here a round of applause for coming up. So you look at it that way, it changes everything. Matthew chapter 1, and this, this is the genealogy and the lineage of David, of Jesus, is actually Matthew, the author, saying, long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there was this man named Abraham. And now, the Messiah has come. And after 400 years, God breaks the silence on a quiet night in Bethlehem, page 312. And the story goes like this. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. As we hear a baby crying right now. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. Folks, that is why, everything we just talked about is why you can't pull this story from Luke, the chapter 22, this Christmas story, out of context and say, well, that's a cute little story we read once a year in December. It's not just the Christmas story, it's the culmination of history that has led to this moment. We can't just go, oh, that's cute, and a nice little manger scene with Mary and Joseph and the barnyard animals. Kind of stinks a little bit. It's not even about that. It's about God coming to us. You have to understand the Old Testament to grasp the magnitude of the New Testament. Do you understand what just happened? The upper story just collided with the lower story. They've been separate for thousands of years, and now they collided. The kingdom of heaven just invaded the kingdom of darkness. God, the author of this story, who's been writing that story since the beginning of time, the, the, the playwright, the writer himself, just wrote himself into your script. If you've ever doubted that God understands what it's like to be you, if you've ever doubted that God doesn't understand what you might be going through right now, I don't know what says it much clearer than that. God became one of us. It doesn't get much more intimate than a teenage girl's womb. That every time a woman who's pregnant looks down, well, he's right there. And one of the many reasons that God probably did it that way was that I think he wants us to know that's how utterly close I want to be to you. Not in your womb, but in your heart. That's how intimately involved I want to be with your life. Have you ever thought about what life would look like if Jesus had never come? What if there was no Christmas from a Christian perspective? What would it look like if Jesus had never been born? What would life look like? Well, there's lots of things I can think about. I think about there'd be no Christmas presents and no Christmas cookies and no Christmas songs and there'd be no Christmas movies. There'd be no great you know, Christmas movies like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There'd be no Cousin Eddie, for pity's sakes. But it's not just about Christmas. There wouldn't be a reason for us to be here every week. For any church, there wouldn't be a church. 
There wouldn't be a motivation. There wouldn't be a purpose for us to gather here every single week. If Jesus had never been born, there'd be no faith. There'd be no hope. There'd be no love. There'd be no joy. There'd be no peace. Life would be boring. Life would be gray. There'd be no color in our lives. If Jesus had never been born, we would have no hope for defeating the three things, the three enemies that you will never be able to defeat in your life. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how long you've been a member of church. I don't care how much you make in your job. I don't care how many degrees you have or what your salary is or how much you have in your bank account or how big your house is or how long you've been coming to church, how many Bible studies you've been going to, any of that. If Jesus hadn't been born, there is no hope for us to defeat the power of sin, death, and hell. And because that baby came, who became a man, who is our Savior, we have hope. Everything has led to this moment in history. That's why we sing joy to the world. We don't sing, oh, happy times, Jesus is here. We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And we're going to sing that a little bit later on today because you might have noticed we got some extra decorations up here today. Now, I know it's not much, but who's to say that we can't celebrate Christmas every single day of the year? If that's the message of the Christmas story, then I think Sunday, February 24th is just as much Christmas as, Sun or as December 25th. Not always on a Sunday. The same promise that we, that we held on our Christmas Eve service here just a couple months ago is the same promise that we can claim today. Jesus has been born into this world, and he is just as real and present in our lives today. That's why we decorated the day the, for the day that we did. There's actually this song, and I think it's by Sesame Street, one of my favorite artists. Um, and the title of the song is this, Keep Christmas with you all throughout the year. Now, I know there's like all these cheesy sayings like, keep Christmas in your hearts, and we want to keep the Christmas joy all throughout the year, and all things like that. And we kind of just pass them off as, oh yeah, whatever. What if we really did that? What if Christmas wasn't a one-time event, but what if it was a reality that we could live into every single day of the year? What if it was something more? How would we do that? How do we keep Christmas in our heart all year long? Well, we probably go to the source and look at Jesus himself. When this baby became a man, he asked some people questions, and he was walking along the, the, the shore one day, and he saw uh, some men there fishing, and he said to them, follow me. And for the rest of Jesus' ministry and his time here on earth, he asked his disciples to follow him, to model their lives after him. And I was thinking this week, why do we just model our lives after Jesus as a grown-up and not as a baby? Have you thought about that? What if the baby is in the manger crying and, you know, pooping and doing all the stuff that baby does, babies do? What if Jesus is saying to us, in, in the cradle, follow me. Model your life after me. Not all that weird baby stuff, but in how I came in the way that I arrived, mm -hmm. what would that look like? Well, it'd give us a clue to how we live out the Christmas story. And to do that, let's go to page 309 in our scripture that Laura read for us today. This is John chapter 1. 309, 
in the story, John chapter 1, verse 14. And we read this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling or made his home among us. The Word, Jesus, meaning Jesus took on flesh, meaning God put on skin. And there's a fancy church word for that, and we call it the incarnation. That's what this story is called. In other words, God became incarnate in our world. And in that one short verse, not only sums up the whole chapter, but in the first little breaths of Jesus' life, he is giving us a clue, he is a role model for us in how we are to live as his followers, to live incarnate. And it's called this, it's called the be with factor. Everybody say be with. Be with. It's the be with factor that changes everything, and it goes like this. If you're going to reach the people that you love, that God has placed on your heart, you go yourself. You go to them and be with them, not from a distance, but to incarnate yourself in their world. If you really care about people, you will learn their way of life. You will learn their rhythm. Isn't that what friends do? Isn't that what family does? We love each other so much that we do life Together, it's even in the name of Jesus himself. Do you know that Emmanuel's not just the name of Lutheran churches across the country? It's the name of God. Emmanuel literally means God with us. It comes from the Greek word Emmanuel, which is with us, and El, you put those together, El is God, so God with us. In other words, God left the throne room of heaven to come down into our dirty, messy, broken sinful world and walk in your shoes. It's the be with factor. And you can't do that from a safe distance. Reminds me of an experience that uh, Tiffany and I had just this past week. We were not here uh, last week because we were in Florida. And be before you just, you know, judge me and, and uh, get jealous, I have to let you know that during the time that we were in Florida, Three of the five days that we were there, it was warmer in Des Moines, Iowa, than it was on the beach on the Gulf of Mexico. So now you can go, oh, poor John. I know, it was rough. But we had a good time. So we're hanging out, and it's like mid-50s and windy and kind of drizzling. And I'm doing a wedding on the beach. That's why we went down. I'm officiating a wedding of, of one of my friends. And we're there on the beach, and it's freezing cold, but we're having a good time. And we get to the reception. If you've ever been to a wedding reception, you know that there's two kinds of people. There's people that love to dance, and there's people that hate to dance. They, they, they wouldn't be caught dead dancing. And so normally at wedding receptions, it's like the kids, the teenagers, and the young adults, the ones that are out there dancing. You know, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka. You know they're out there doing their thing. And the rest of the adults are sitting at their tables going, mm, and they'll just sit there and sip their wine. That's kind of what this reception was until the DJ showed up. The DJ's name was Chris, and he didn't stand behind his booth, you know, mixing things like a DJ did. He was out on the dance floor with a wireless microphone leading the dancing. Have you experienced anything like this before? It was crazy, okay? So Chris is the name of the DJ, and he's out there, and he makes it his personal goal to get all, there's like 50 or 60 people, kind of a smaller reception, but that's a lot of people to get on like a 10 by 10 dance floor. Okay, like a rental rent floor that we had. His goal was to go around and to pull in all the people at the reception. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if they can walk or not. 
They were going to get on the dance floor, okay? So it was his job, and he's going around, and he's pulling people in. And we're going crazy, and we're dancing to all these, you know, new and popular songs. A lot of them, I don't know, because I'm getting old. And there's this one, it's like Gangnam Style. Have you heard of this song, okay? All the cool kids like it these days, I guess, okay? So we're all out there dancing. We don't even know the words of the song, but we're having a blast. You know, boom, 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 I'm not even going to attempt to do the song. And we're out there dancing. And he has pulled in all these, like, grandmas and grandpas, and there's people coming up in their walkers up to the dance floor and going crazy. It's awesome, except one person, Crazy Uncle Bob in the corner, okay? So we're all dancing the Gangnam style, boom chicka, boom chicka, boom chicka, and we're going crazy, and we're hot and sweaty and all that. And Chris looks over at Crazy Uncle Bob, who's like, I don't know, late 70s, he's a little bit heavier set, and he's, sitting, he's the only one at the entire reception not on the dance floor. And he's sitting over here in the, in the comfortness and the, like the quietness of his chair. And Chris, the DJ, looks over at him and goes, you, let's go. And Bob didn't say this, but he crossed his arms and he gave him this like old man scowl that's like, over my dead body, right? I am not dancing, right? I don't know if the guy's ever danced in his life. And then Chris takes it up a level. And we're all dancing and we're going like this. And out of nowhere, Chris just pops out of the circle. And everybody's like, what are you doing? And he looks right at Bob and he goes, where are you at, Bob? And we're like, what is going on? And in a moment of, I'm sure, like panic and frustration, Bob just goes, and he just stands up. The guy can hardly walk. And he grabs his walker and he starts to make his way towards the dance floor with that old man scowl. And as he gets closer, literally, he just throws his walker down, okay? 77, 78-year-old man comes up, and every, the music's still going, boom chicka, boom chicka, boom chicka, and everybody's watching him. Gangnam Style is playing. Crazy Uncle Bob's coming to the dance floor. Everybody stops, looks at Bob, and he goes. And he starts doing John Travolta. He starts doing Saturday Night Fever, which I think is probably the last time that Crazy Uncle Bob danced. It was 1973. And so we're all like, go, Uncle Bob, this is awesome. We're all having such a good time that while Gangnam Style is still playing, everybody starts doing Saturday Night Fever, and we're staying alive, staying alive the whole rest of the night. It was awesome. And we went crazy. And by the end of the night, Crazy Uncle Bob's like dress shirts hanging out and his ties strung over. And he comes over to Chris, the DJ, and I literally heard him say, I've never had so much fun. And then he goes, I wouldn't miss this for the world. And you can't do that if you're sitting in the safety of your chair. Uh, Crazy Uncle Bob didn't know it, but he just demonstrated how you live out the Christmas story. God couldn't stay at a distance. He didn't stay in the quietness and the comfortness and the safety of heaven. He came down to the dirty, messy, sweaty dance floor and got his groove on with us. And maybe he calls us to do the same. Maybe the baby in a manger is actually Jesus saying, this is how you do it. This is how you live the Christian life. And maybe some of you need to hear this today. It's time to get out of your chair and get onto the dance floor. Because if you don't, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the whole point. You're going to miss the party. You're going to miss the adventure of the Christian life that Jesus calls you to do. Stop going through the motions and just showing up at worship every week. We love that. But there's so much more. There's so much more. And you're going to miss it 
If you're not willing to go, if you're not willing to be with the ones you're calling to reach. But this didn't just stop at Christmas. You see, I'm going to give you a little preview of what's to come here. That baby grew up, and he became a man, and he became a, a rabbi, Jesus, that would go around, and people loved being around him. And Jesus started living out the be with factor as a natural rhythm to his life. And so the story continues. And we, we come up upon this story of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and outcasts. This is in uh, Mark chapter 2, if you want to follow along, or page 331 of the story. Jesus starts hanging out with all these people that he, well, he shouldn't be hanging out with. And we read this, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi, or Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There in Matthew's house, where all the people have gathered around that, that the rest of society has labeled outcasts, losers, weirdos, misfits, the, the lower rungs of, I'm talking about prostitutes, tax collectors. Nobody wants to be with them. Except your Savior. And they're all sitting around. Everybody that smells. Everybody that has addictions. You name it. And they're staring into the very face of God. You can't do that from a distance. You can't be with the people like Jesus did, you say, you know what, I just don't want to get my hands dirty in that. Let me say this, and we've learned this here uh, as Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines. One of the ways you know you're living out God's mission is when ministry gets really messy. And some of us just aren't willing to get messy. We're not willing to let our hands get dirty in the messiness of people's lives and our own, to be honest, because we're all messes. That's how you know you're on mission when life starts to get messy. Take it from Jesus because the story doesn't end there. It doesn't just end at the dinner table, but it goes out to the streets. And Jesus starts hanging out with all these people that he shouldn't and healing people and people with diseases, specifically lepers. And the reason I say lepers is because nobody wanted to be with them. Lepers were outcasts. They had this horrible skin disease. And so when you saw a leper, you would avoid them and you would walk around at all costs. You didn't want to get near them. People had this phobia. If I, if I touch a leper, I might get that disease and die. Nobody touched lepers except your Savior. Because you have to be with the people that are on your heart. And so there's this story where Jesus comes up to a leper and not only does he heal him, he could have just stood at a distance and gone, zap, Jesus' power. Jesus comes up and he places his hands and he touches the leper. The point of that story is not the miracle. The point of that story is that nobody touched lepers. Except Jesus. But it didn't just end there, it continued. And, and that's, I'm giving you a little preview of what's to come. As you read these next few chapters of the story, Jesus is saying, this is how I've called you to live. Incarnate. Incarnationally in the lives of people around you. What does that look like for you? It might be having a meal 
with the people that you're always too busy for. It might be taking the time to reach out to those people in your life that you know nobody else wants to be with. That's what maturity looks like. That's what being a servant leader looks like. Who's going to be the one that hangs out with the people that nobody else wants to be with? Or are you going to stay in the comfort of your chair and sip your wine? Live the Christmas story. Ask yourself, God, who are the people that you've placed around me? And what does the gospel look like to them? What does is, what is good news look like to them? Are there people in your life that God has placed around you but because you're so busy and you're so stuck on your schedule and you have your blinders on and there's no way you can be with them because whenever you're with people, your mind is running so fast, you can never listen to anybody. Never be fully present. And that's the life that Jesus modeled for us. You might be saying, John, that's great because he's Jesus. That was like his full-time job was to be God. And he had all the time in the world. I'm busy. I go to school. I go to class. I got to study. I go to my job all day. I got I to have a social life. I, I, my calendar's full. My life is the most unlikely life for God to show up in it, to use me to be incarnation of other people's lives. Well, the good news for all of us is that throughout the course of Christianity, God has the habit of showing up in some of the most unlikely places like Bethlehem and like Calcutta, one of the poorest cities in the world in India, which happens to be the place where a small, quiet nun named Mother Teresa lived most of her life ministering to and their story goes is there was a younger woman, probably in her 20s or 30s, that wanted to do ministry with Mother Teresa. God, you've placed the poor on my heart, and I, and I want to do this. And so I, she goes to Mother Teresa, and she says, I want to join you in Calcutta. I'm going to leave everything behind, and I'm going to join you there. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything, because I don't really see how God can use me in my ordinary life here in America in the Midwest, actually. So I need to join you in Calcutta because God's not there, but God is there. He's in Calcutta. So I need to find God and join you in Calcutta. Can I come join you, Mother Teresa? And the small, quiet nun looked back at her and said, thank you, but please first find your Calcutta. Find your Calcutta question that chapter 22 asks of all of us. Where's your Bethlehem? Where's your Calcutta? And will you get messy there? Will you stay? Or will you just pop in and out of people's lives? Will you live incarnationally with some of you may be called to go to other nations, but most of you are going to be called to be missionaries in your own backyard. And I don't know what that looks like for you today, but that image of getting up off the chair and seeing crazy Uncle Bob get on the dance floor, just feel like God said to me this week, John, that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do in a very practical way. We talk about life groups all the time. We talk about serving all the time. And I love it that you're here on Sunday morning. But I don't want you to miss out on the board. We are desperate for life group leaders. We're desperate for people to step up and say, that's me. 
I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to stop playing it safe, and I'm going to gather some people around me, and we're going to get together, and we're going to study God's Word, and we're going to go deeper, and we're going to become the men and women of God that we've been called to be. I'm going I'm to do that service project. I'm going to go, and I'm going to meet some other people. I'm going to stop playing it safe at my little table on the corner. I'm going to get in the game, and maybe today is the day to do that. What if we just stopped reading the Christmas story, and what if we started living the Christmas story every day of our lives? And I don't know, but I was driving around this week, and sometimes just when I think about our city, and I think about who God has called us to be as a church here, and I think about the fact that before you came this morning, there was almost 80 people here at our first service that don't have a home. And because a few people stepped up to drive that big yellow bus, they got to hear the message of God's love this morning. Um, and I think about, I think about the fact that there's tens of thousands of people here in the city that don't know that love, that don't have a church home, and that, that's why we exist. We don't exist to hold church services and say, you come to us. We exist to be empowered, to be taught, and then to go out. And the church continues when you leave those doors. That's when church starts, when you go be the church Monday through Saturday. And we say, you don't come to us. We're going to go to you. We're going to live out the Christmas story. Who is God calling you to live incarnationally with this week? I don't want to just hold more church services. I don't want to just go to more lame small groups. <laughs> I want to get on the dance floor and go crazy for God. That, that's why we, why else are we here? You know? And uh, I just want you to know that that's our heart. That's, that's why we exist. And if you're looking for a perfect church, well, this isn't it. But if you're looking for a bunch of imperfect people, go on mission with, and we would invite you to come and go along for that ride. And then you'll get to the end of your life and you won't say, oh, I missed it. So let's follow Uncle Bob, and let's follow the path of our Savior, and let's go be with people this week. Amen? Let's stand together.